Let's continue worship with a reading from 2 Peter 1, 3 through 10. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to church, y'all. Please say hello to the person next to you as you have a seat. There it is. Come on. Hey, guys. Good morning. Welcome to church. If I don't know you, my name's Chris, lead pastor here at Riverstone. Glad you're with us. Uh, Today we start a new conversation about Christian maturity. Uh, We spent the past couple months looking at the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Um, And so we just figured we'd swing the pendulum hard. (laughs) No, but in some part uh, it fits because uh, what we want to talk about is how the rubber meets the road, how all that Holy Spirit stuff is meant to cause real change in you. Uh, in your actual life, here and now. It's not just out there and otherworldly. It's here in our life, physically, right now. Um, and the idea that we're going to wrestle through uh, for the rest of this season is pretty simple. Uh, it's that maturity is optional. <laughs> it's optional. Uh, maturity is optional, guys. Like, not just as a Christian, like, period. Like, as a human. Uh, maturity is optional. It's 100% true. All of us Uh, We'll have to choose whether or not you grow into a mature, uh, wise person or whether or not you stay a fool. The Proverbs uh, gives us two options. You can become wise or you can stay a fool. And to ignore the process is really to stay a fool. Um, Maturity is optional. Now, aging is not optional. I I wish you, I'm so sorry. I wish aging was, uh, your hair will probably continue to fall out and turn gray. Your skin continued to wrinkle, your teeth yellow, your knees hurt, your back. All that's going to happen. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Not for him. Right, right. Guys, your nose and your ears will never stop growing. You will eventually look like the old man from Up, that Pixar movie. So that, that will be fun. That will be fun. Um, aging is not optional. We don't get an option. Uh, maturity, however, emotional, spiritual maturity that's optional. You'd be a really old infant, right? You know that. Those, aging is not, uh, all the mature people in here, I love you, I love you, okay? Aging is not synonymous with maturity. It is not. There can be a surprising contrast between our physical maturity and our emotional, relational, spiritual maturity, it can be surprising, can't it? Right? Now, I'm, I'm sorry to do this to you, but I need, I need to do this so you understand um, what I'm talking about. I want you to imagine that our 
emotional and spiritual growth were as obvious as our physical growth for a moment. Let's just imagine that these two things were equally as obvious in a person. And, and you might get a picture like this. Okay? If you could see people's emotional, spiritual growth just like you could see their physical growth. Okay? Imagine a full-grown, older, massive bear of a man sitting at a table. Paul Bunyan type, right? Scruffy, big hands, right? Beard, tattoos, right? Got some gray hair in there. Dude's been around, right? Salty type, right? He's probably like a Navy SEAL or something, like you see him, right? Seasoned warrior, you know? Big guy. And as you walk around the table, you notice that under the table, he's only wearing a diaper. <laughs> big, manly, hairy legs coming out of a diaper. And you are so disturbed and shocked. You look back up at his face. And now, Paul Bunyan is chugging baby formula out of a bottle. Just going to town. Right? Like sweat coming down his brow. Little, little formula dribble. And, and the weird thing is, is he's maintaining eye contact the whole time. Just staring, staring you down. Right? It's grotesque. It's disgust. I'm so sorry to do that to your imagination this morning. Um, so many Christians might have a similar discontinuity between their physical growth and their spiritual growth, their spiritual maturity. Maybe you've killed it in business, man. Like maybe you've got a huge family. Maybe you're super talented. But internally, when it comes to emotional awareness, guys, when it comes to relational health, when it comes to spiritual sensitivity, when it comes to your ability to hear criticism and be self-aware, when it comes to your ability to love and forgive people, you feel really overwhelmed in life. Like you feel very much like a baby lost at sea. And right now the waves are pummeling over you and you're not sure if you're going to make it. You spend most of your days angry and frustrated and impatient. And if you're honest, if someone were to catch you in an honest moment, you might say something like, I'm honest, I don't have a lot of joy or peace that I can speak of in my life right now. Dude, your body changed. You went through puberty. You're a big boy now. You're a big girl now. But the question is, has your spirit matured with your body? Has it grown? Some of us might be coasting off obedience from 10 years ago. Can I just tell you, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. If, if, if you are coasting off of obedience from 10 years ago, not only are you not growing, you might actually be going in the opposite direction, right? If you're trying to coast off healthy habits that you used to have, because right? here's the problem. Here's the problem with maturity. When you look um, like an adult on the outside, it's easy for people to assume you are an adult on the inside. But I think all of us know from experience, uh, it, it, it doesn't equal. Physical maturity doesn't equal spiritual. All, if you've ever driven through Gwinnett County on a Friday afternoon, right, you fully are aware that there are grown people who act like four-year-olds behind the wheel, right? So physical maturity outside doesn't equal spiritual emotional maturity inside. I wish it did. It just doesn't. I think many of us assume spiritual maturity just happens. I think we just think it just happens. I think we think if, well, I, we just, I guess we just keep going to church and like puberty, puberty, 
Like, you didn't make yourself go through. It just happened to you, right? Let's all remember those God-forsaken years of middle school. Do you remember middle school? Oh, God. Like, oh, horrible, right? I actually found some, like, horrible middle school 80s pictures, but I didn't. I didn't. I'm not going to do that. So I already, like, messed you with your brain with the Paul Bunyan guy. So if I could stave off, like, puberty for my kids, I would. Like, just stay cute and adorable and not stinky, right? But it's going to happen. It's going to happen, whether I like it or not. Uh, you had no choice in that process. It just happened. Uh, we all made it. Praise his name. Your growing body changed. And here we are, adults, right? Listen, spiritual maturity, relational, emotional maturity will not just happen, guys. It will not just happen, right? It would be like someone expecting to wake up one day and have a six-pack, right? Whoa, like Spider-Man, remember? When Spider-Man got bit by the spider, and he wakes up, and he's like, oh, man, right? Or, or maybe we think spiritual maturity is like the Matrix, like Neo. Remember? the remember? He like, I know Kung Fu, right? We tend to think that spiritual maturity will just happen. Like salvation, supernatural. I guess my maturity as a person must be supernatural too. No, dude, I wish. I wish character was formed that way. It's just not. <laughs> I feel like half the time, Christians are looking for this radioactive Jesus spider that will just bite them and everything will change, right? Like, that's just not how character works, y'all. It's not. I wish it was, right? It's, that's not how character is formed. You don't just go to sleep and wake up the next day and not have the habits that you've been forming for the past 20 years. You've got to deal with those things. Your body is in many ways on cruise control. You've set patterns and habits, and all of that stuff is going. And you may have a super, supernatural experience with God, but guess what? You've set 20 years of habits and thinking patterns that now you have to deal with, right? It's, actions and habits, maybe that you've labeled as unspiritual, have a whole lot more to do with your character and maturity than Christians often think. Physical growth is not optional. Spiritual growth is optional, and you have a choice. Now, what's interesting about this dynamic is there, there are these subtle, confusing misunderstandings within Christianity that can really contribute to this kind of prolonged immaturity, this extended spiritual adolescence. We're told, here's one of them. So you understand what I'm saying? Like there's things inside Christianity that can kind of enable this type of prolonged adolescence. Okay, here's one of them. We're told things like, hey, man, listen, what was begun by the Spirit won't be perfected by the flesh. Yes and amen. I say it all the time. Uh, we say things like, the substance of Christianity is not what you do. It's what Christ has done. That is true. That is true. Christianity isn't advice. It's news. Dude, I say it all the time, right? He has saved. He has redeemed. He has sanctified. Pastors say things like, when God sees you, uh, he only sees the atoning perfect work of Christ. The work is done. It's done, y'all. And it is. Jesus said, it is finished. Hebrews, enter the rest of God, right? Yes and amen. All of it cosmically true. That's the gospel. I'm going to beat that drum as long as I'm standing here, okay? The question is, so what? So what? If all that is true, if you say you believe it, what does that actually mean for your everyday life? Where you actually live. Okay, 
Christ has done it. Okay, the Lamb of God's been sacrificed. Okay, he's taken away the sins of the world. What does it mean for you in your real day life? See, maturity is the process of applying the finished work of Christ to where I actually live, here and now. Maturity and growth will come as you increasingly answer this question, as you sort out the specifics through Scripture, through prayer, through uh, these new facts in life, right? Um, what does it all mean for me in my actual life? That's where maturity happens. What does it mean? How does it apply, right? What parts of your life now have to radically change in light of these new facts? See, I just don't know if God will do all that for you. And if he, if he would, why are there all these commands in the Bible? Resist the devil, right? Why are, if, if God's going to do it for you, why does he say, hey, do this? No, apparently there are things that you have to do that he won't do for you. And you have to set your mind to it. I mean, he'll tell you, hey, this is the path to life. He'll empower you. He'll guide you. But I don't know if he will make you put one foot in front of the other in the process of maturity. I mean, right? So listen, uh, who you are will first and foremost come from what you believe about the universe. That's true. Who you are will come first and foremost from what you believe about the universe. But secondly, what you really believe about the universe will be clearly seen in how you actually live. Can I say that again? What you really believe about the universe will be clearly seen in how you live. Because you will live in accordance with what you really believe is true. Okay, now let me give you an example I stole from Dallas Willard and Divine Conspiracy. If you believe 5 plus 5 equals 4, you believe that, all your heart, okay? Guess what? When you go to Starbucks and the barista says uh, that'll, that'll be uh, five, $5 or $4, right? And you give him two fives, he will hand one back to you confused and you'll think, what a sucker. <laughs> I duped that barista, right? If you think 5 plus 5 equals 4, you will live your life as if 5 plus 5, like when you double recipes, you never have enough, right? Like what, all of your spreadsheets, you're like, wait, I feel like we should have more money, but I don't, I don't know, like, right? So I know it's a silly example. When Jesus breaks through your darkness with his life and power and comes with a completely new value set and way of living... It's as if you've been working with 5 plus 5 equals 4, and Jesus says, oh, actually, 5 plus 5 equals 10. Now, you have to go through and completely recalibrate your entire life. You have to go through and do, again, all your recipes, all of your spreadsheets. All, dude, think of all of the time and effort and energy. Now you have to go back through all the systems and structures that you've established on 5 plus 5 equals 4. And now you've got to go back and change them all, right? I mean, if, if discipleship to Jesus is anything like that, imagine all the time and effort and energy it's going to take to restructure your entire life. It may take the rest of your life to sniff out all of the internal errors because you've been working on a completely different uh, economic system, one flipped upside down, completely different value set. Am I, does this make sense? So therefore, Dallas Willard points out, y'all, grace is opposed to earning, diametrically opposed to earning. You cannot earn grace by, by just what it is. Grace is not opposed to effort. 
We get these things confused, I think, sometimes. Grace is not opposed to effort. To apply the kingdom of grace and radical love to your entire being will take sustained effort for the rest of your life on earth. It's why Jesus can say things like, strive to enter through the narrow door. It's why Peter can say things like, make every effort to supplement your faith. Blah, blah, blah. We read that, right? All those things. It's why Paul can say things like, not that I've already attained this or already made perfect, but I press, right, to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own brothers. I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. They can say all those things and not be in contradiction with the gospel of grace because the price has been paid. The work is finished. The question is, will you apply that new fact to every aspect of your thinking and living? That's the question. Salvation, y'all, is really simple. Really simple. Salvation at its root, dude, it's, it's receiving Something that has been done. It is so simple an eight-year-old can grasp it fully. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, now I'm alive, right? God acted, he saved, he redeemed, did what I could. It's pretty simple, right? You don't need a PhD. You don't even need a high school education. You don't need the resolve of an Olympic athlete, although that would probably help. All you need is humility, honesty, and faith. It's true. It turns out those things are less, less common than we think. Now, the complexity comes in how do I walk out that salvation when my boss is a jerk? That's where it gets a little complex, doesn't it? That's where it gets a little confusing. And what do I do? Right? The complexity comes when you can't seem to stop fighting with your spouse and you feel insecure and unstable. How, how does God's power intervene there? What's supposed to happen? What's the right thing to do? I, I'm obviously right. <laughs> right? Right? The complexity comes in how do you address dysfunction and immaturity in your friends in a way that calls a duck a duck, but is still filled with grace and invitation to life. You think that's easy? You think that's easy? Going through life and actually calling out sin and dysfunction that you see in a way that's loving and affirming? You ever tried to do that? Have you ever tried to tell someone something really hard in a loving way? It's so much easier just to be angry. It's so much easier just to be like, and just lay into them, and then, you know? It's so much easier to do that rather than do it in a loving and invitational way, right? See, the complexity comes. These are not not issues of salvation. These are issues of maturity. They're issues of wisdom. They're issues about applying the simplicity of salvation to the complexity and the murky waters that we actually live in where things aren't black and white, where there's tons of shades of gray and we don't know what is the right thing, right? How does the simplicity of God's salvation illuminate the murky complexities of the real world that we find ourselves in? That's the process of maturity, friends. That's the pro- Dude, that takes wisdom. That takes effort. That takes meditation and prayer and counsel, right? See, salvation is about having your eyes open to, what, to who God is and what he's done. It's, it's simple. Maybe your eyes have been opened. 
Maybe you understand God as the most valuable, worthy being in all of the universe. Maybe not. I'm glad you're here, right? Maybe you know God is ultimately worth more than any breath, everything you could ever give. Or maybe the verdict is still out for you. But if you are all in, if you're all in on Jesus, right, your eyes have been opened, you see him as worthy, you love him, you worship him, you adore him, the question is, in that moment of revelation and clarity, do all of your bad habits of 20 years ago immediately are cured in that moment? No. No, they're not. Like, here's a question for you. Can your eyes be open to the glory of God and you still refuse to submit to the process of growth and maturity? Yes, you can. You can be in the kingdom and warring against the kingdom. You can say, Jesus is Lord, and then with your entire life say, actually, no, he's not. You can. You can. It's why the author of Hebrews says things like, dude, this time you ought to be teachers, man. But you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracle of God. You need milk. You need a baby's bottle still. Not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid foods for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment. Dude, check this out. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Just mull on that for a bit, right? He's saying your maturity will be marked by constant attentiveness to distinguish what is good and what is evil because it turns out it's not always that simple. Are we talking here? Is anyone listening to me right now? Anyone? Okay, thank you. Just a little nod will help me understand it. Okay, so it turns out, guys, it's not always black and white. It turns out it's really difficult sometimes to figure out what is right and what is wrong in this situation. Dude, sometimes demons parade as angels of light, and we get really confused. Think about the poor young man, jacked full of hormones, right? And he sees a beautiful woman, and everything in his body says, that's good. I'm going to go online and look at more of that. And then 15 years later, after three failed marriages and a porn addiction, turns out what he thought was good wasn't good. Turns out it was demonic and evil, and it ruined his life. It's not that easy. We see things all the time, and we say, that's good. You know, it sounds like a story I heard one time. Man, what is that story about these two people in a garden? And one saw that it was good. And they took it for themselves. And it unleashed terror and havoc on all of creation. And reality was torn asunder because they thought something was good and they took it for themselves. Think of the young, ambitious, professional woman who says, dude, I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to make tons of money. I'm going to buy a huge house and a nice car. That's good. And all of us say, that's right, sister. It is good. Go get it. Yeah. Love you. Love your energy. Only 15 years later to realize in her prime years, she gave away her energy to making money and gave her leftovers to her family. And now she's married to a stranger and her kids don't talk to her. See, what was good got out of balance, didn't it? And she pursued it at the expense of other things that were maybe a bit better. And now is is, uh, having to reap the consequences of seeing something she thought was good that in the end 
Dude, listen, what I'm trying to tell you, it will take every ounce of intelligence and effort you have in this life to constantly practice distinguishing the difference between good and evil. If you are not fighting that fight right now, I'm telling you, there are forces at work that are, that are eating your lunch. If you're not paying attention to the realities around you and, what does it say, constantly practicing, discerning between what is good and what is evil. Dude, that's the process of maturity. And it's because people don't fight that fight. It's because people just think, well, it's black and white and it's always easy and it's always obvious. Dude, it's not. We live in a very complex world, y'all. There are forces at play that are trying to convince you things are good, that you are clutching to your chest, to your own demise. Amen. Hmm? And if you aren't putting forth the intelligence and the effort to try to... I'm saying the same thing over and over because it's so absolutely important. Right? The idea of grace through faith can muddle the waters for some of us when it comes to Christian maturity because we think... To put forth any effort is against the rules. That is not true. That is not true. And you will not grow as a Christian until you realize you will have to put effort forth. You will have to put uh, intense, man, sometimes. You will have to set your will in a direction. And if you don't, you are, you are being pulled by the other currents. In our, here's another one. If you hang out with Christians for any amount of time, people talk a lot about their testimony. That's, what's that mean? Okay, well, that's Christianese for their, uh, like, conversion experience most of the time, right? So uh, they, uh, when they became a Christian or, like, when God, like, did something really dramatic in their life and they have a testimony and they, they share it. Now, I don't want to diminish this in any way. Uh, I don't want to diminish conversion or supernatural encounters with God. Like, we probably need more of those. Yes and amen. Please, God, thank you. Right? But it can inadvertently create a mentality in Christianity that is all about a moment, so everything happened. Everything happened in this moment. And Christians, we tend to look back at those moments with nostalgia. Oh, those were the days, right? And we start to glorify an experience we had and neglect the practical way that experience had to work itself out in real life, right? So you spoke in tongues, right? Yes, I love it. Like, give me some more. I'll be honest. I want more, okay? You, you got this amazing spot-on word. You were miraculously healed. Some emotional healing. Maybe God provided for you financially just out of the blue. It was awesome, right? Maybe it's when you met Jesus for the first time. Maybe it was a moment during worship. Like, God did something in you like you knew it. Something changed. I love those moments. I want more of them. Yes, please, God. More. Amen. Right? More, Lord. The confusion comes when we hear a person talking about an experience like this and then see the way they talk to their wife. We hear a person talking about had this amazing supernatural experience, speaking in tongues on Sunday, right? And then see how they treat their kids. And then you hear, so man, you know, we're talking about conversion. And yeah, God did this and he provided this. And then you're trash talking the worship leader. Does that not create some dissonance for you? As you're sitting there and you're like, wait a second, something doesn't seem right. Like, something's wrong with this picture, right? And a lot of us, when we sense that dissonance, we become not only suspicious of the person, we become suspicious of spiritual experience. Or we become suspicious of Christianity as a whole and say, well, it probably doesn't work, I guess. I guess. And then we put our guard up. Some of you right now have your guard up against the Holy Spirit. Because you know people who, who, who have boasted Holy Spirit experiences and their life is in shambles. And you've said, well, that doesn't work. I just want to tell you, I, I disagree with your position. 
I want to plead with you to soften your heart to the Holy Spirit because he needs to do something in you. He's got stuff for you today. God wants to engage you supernaturally, but you still have to work out. That's super. You got to work out in the valley what God does to you on the mountaintop. You got to go back to the valley. You can't stay on the mountaintop forever. You, dude, when Jesus was transfigured with the three, right? Like blinding lights, beautiful. Let's, what is it? Let's make a temple here. Let's just live here for the rest of our life. And Jesus says, no, dude, back down to the masses. Back down to the, to the needy, broken people. We got to take what we know here and what has happened here back down to the people in need. Dude, that's Christianity. That's the gospel, right? So now on the other side of this coin, so you can observe that from the outside, but maybe you're the person who had the supernatural experience. Can you relate to this? I certainly can. Dude, God's done crazy things in my heart and life in moments of worship and prayer. Like I can just list, I mean, it's awesome. Like physical stuff. Dude, all sorts of provided, all sorts of things. But you know what, you know what the deal is? The next day when I woke up, I was still Chris. Uh, uh, you're like, I, I thought that was supposed to do the thing, you know? And I wake up the next day, and I'm still annoyed with my wife. Bless her heart. Little thing never did anything to hurt me. It's just, just me, right? I woke up the next day, and I found in me, guess what? I mean, I'm not, you're not going to believe this. Impatience with my children. I know. I know it's hard to believe. I seem so angelic up here with the light coming from behind, right? Right? You have supernatural experience. You wake up the next day and you still find yourself wanting to spend more money than you have. <laughs> can we talk honestly or are we just going to, right? So the cynical con conclusion is, well, I guess the experience must have been flawed. The cynical conclusion, and many of you have taken this position, is, well, I guess it didn't really happen. I guess that was just an emotional frenzy. Does that nullify the experience? No, I don't think so at all. I think God meets us in supernatural ways. Some of us would do well to remember the supernatural experiences you have had with God. Do you know why God's always like, dude, stack some stones, bro? You know, God, in the Old Testament, write this down over and over and over because we tend to forget the supernatural things God does in our hearts and lives. We tend to just, they just kind of leave our memory. So all the time in the Old Testament, he's saying, stack some stones, you got to remember what I've done for you. You will forget, right? This doesn't negate that, but the question is, do you become an Autobot after you have a supernatural experience with God without any real choices? Do you, do you, does your eyes roll back and you stiffen and he, God just like takes control and like you become a Christian version of Johnny Five from Short Circuit? That's not my experience at all. You're welcome for that reference. <clears throat> I've had profoundly impactful experiences with the supernatural God, breaking into my heart and life, healing and saving and redeeming. But the next day, I was still Chris. Did I feel super empowered, deeply refreshed, healed, maybe with new vision, with new language, new ideas? Yes, I did, man. Were there areas of my life that were now easier to address post-supernatural? Yes, totally, but not in all areas. No. Hitting snooze a million times still felt really good. I, my wife, my wife, wife. I still had to deal. Can I just, let's just level. Let's just level. You will still have to deal with difficult situations in your heart and life. You will still have to deal with your obnoxious boss. You will still have to deal with that relationship that's crashing and burning because of your own fault. Still got to deal with it. 
You're still going to have to deal with the temptation to spend more money than you actually have, right? Buy junk on Amazon you don't really need, right? Dude, God did something. Dude, it was real. It was real. But I have to decide if I'm going to let that vision from the mountaintop impact my life in the valley, right? It's almost as if the rudders of our life get turned in these experiences. But you ever seen them big old liner ships, right? Going like, you know, whatever, 20 knots. I don't know if that's a real thing, right? Going all this direction, right? You turn that rudder. Dude, you got all this momentum. And you can turn the rudder, and that thing's going to still be drifting for who knows how long. I don't know. I should have looked it up. Just kind of, right? Right? But it's almost as if the rudder of your life's been changed, but you got this momentum going in that same direction. You, you got to commit. You got to say, no, I'm turning this ship. Like, I'm going to, right? I can see it. I can see this captain, right? I know it's not like that, there's power steering, but like I like to imagine that, right? <laughs> to get everything going in the right direction, it takes some time. That's the process of maturity. And it's why some of us are still very immature. Because we thought everything should have been fixed in this one moment, and it's not how it works, guys. Is there supernatural power? Yes, and amen. Oh, praise his name. But you still got to work it out in your actual living. All of the decisions of your life are not going to be made in a moment. You're going to have to wade through the murky grayness and find out what's good and what's wrong. And I think for some of us, there's just a root level of laziness. Wouldn't it be so much easier if maturity and discipleship just happened in a moment? Like, wouldn't it be? I, I think some of us are used to feeling like victims, and we struggle to see ourselves in the light of God's promises. But the point is, sometimes testimonies make us think, man, it's just about the other. I mean, listen, think about testimonies you hear, right? Right? Kind of give off this vibe of like, man, I used to be messed up, then this moment happened, and now I'm awesome, right? Never tempted. My marriage is awesome. My kids do what I say before I even tell them. Never, you're right? Never have to repent. Never, never feel convicted. And I'm, I'm, obviously, I'm exaggerating. And obviously, when people tell their testimonies, they're trying to like highlight the high mark, you know, right? And like trying to look, make Jesus look good. But is omitting the struggle and honest process really bring glory to Jesus? Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. I mean, I think we have to admit when we intentionally, intentionally leave out failures after the experience, we're not concerned about Jesus' glory. We're concerned about our glory. Amen. Right? I mean, it's okay. It's okay if I was a failure. Right? And now God rescued me, and now I only ever win. Right? Right? Doesn't that sound great? Right? It's like a Disney movie, right? Happily ever after, right? We're a little less okay with God met me, he forgave me, he empowered, he transformed me. I went five steps and fell flat on my face. No one wants to be that guy. <laughs> he pulled me out of the pit, and I jumped right back in two weeks later, right? Like, that's just embarrassing. No one wants to be that. Can, can I tell you some really good news? Can I tell you some really good news right now? That is your story. It is your story. I don't care how much you get Superman with your cape flapping in the wind. That's your story, man, because it's everyone's story. It's everyone's story. Guys, breathe. It's everyone's story. Like God engages us and supernatural things happen, and we go five feet and we fall flat on our face. If you don't believe me, just read Exodus. Huh? I mean, read the first, look, I'm serious. Read the first two books of the Bible, and you will see this pattern on repeat. The authors want you to see it, because the authors are trying to tell you, you need a savior. We need someone to come and rescue us that we don't have the power to do. It's, it's everyone's story, guys. Omitting the failure after the fact is not, you're worried about your own glory, all right? 
It doesn't the thing that make Jesus' love so glorious is the fact that we fail over and over and over and he continues to engage us and pursue us and love us? Like, isn't that the thing that brings glory to his name? Like, God, you've done amazing things in my life and I can't seem to remember. Like, over and over again, I'm falling, but, and he keeps on loving you. That's the gospel. I am screaming. I am just losing it, right? If, thank you. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Every, all the guests are like, good Lord, what is happening? I probably, I, I should, should I say I don't normally do that? I shouldn't say that, right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. No, man, you read. Listen, I'm telling you. Yeah, I'm not making this up. Read the first two books of the Bible. Please, please, please. Go home and read Genesis and Exodus. I'm, I'm dead serious. And what you will see is God supernaturally intervening. <laughs> Ten plagues, you know. <laughs> Open up the waters, walk through on dry land. Like, that's some crazy stuff, okay? In the next chapter, sin, failure. Dude, it's on repeat over and over and over again, right? The pattern of the children of Israel is there because it's the pattern of everyone. It's everyone's pattern. Right? It's the pattern of our own hearts because God's trying to tell you something. That humanity desperately needs a Savior. That you and I desperately need help. And if we are ever going to grow beyond our own immaturity and insecurities, man, we don't just need a vice. We need a new spirit. We need a new heart. You don't need a second chance, bro. You need a new heart. Right? Right? That's what's on offer in the gospel. Not new rules, but a completely new way of seeing the world. A new way to be human. That's redemption. That's salvation. It's a complete reversal. Down is now up. Left becomes right. Because we realize we've been flying upside down. And God comes in and supernaturally says, Oops, oh, you've been flying upside down. Right? And then we just tend to, <laughs> we just tend to go back upside down again. Right? And then we have to, again, oh, right side up. Oh, he, it's almost, you know, are we, you're right. It's almost as if the supernatural moments is God is like flipping us over. And then we're seeing the world anew. But you have to decide, am I going to keep this reference point? Am I going to let salvation, am I going to set the Lord always before me? Or if I'm going to drift back down to upside down, right? See, God's trying to reorient us with these supernatural experiences, guys. He is. He's trying to reorient you to a new way of being human, to understanding that his goodness is abundant, to understanding that his grace. See, we've been functioning under law. He wants you to function under grace. We, we thought you domineer and oppress to lead, right? That's what we thought. And he says, no, you, you wash people's feet to lead, right? See, we thought you gain by getting. And he says, no, you gain by giving. It's backwards, Everything's backwards. We thought happiness is building ourselves up. And he says, no, 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 no. Happiness is building other people up. It's a complete reversal. Five plus five no longer equals four, right? Grace has been given in the sun. The question is, will you reorient your entire being around this grace? That's the question. Will you choose, as 2 Peter 3.18 says, will you choose to grow in grace? And knowledge of Jesus. So over the next month or so, we're going to dig into some very practical practice, biblical practices uh, that I'm going to argue, if you are going to grow as a Christian, if you're going to mature, if you're going to be a mature, wise person, these practices will dominate the landscape of your life. That was like a, a that's my intro, basically. But for now, 
Here's how I want to lead us. We're going to end. And it's going to be a little different than normal. Um, maybe right now you've realized um, that you've grown physically, <laughs> materially, intellectually, but morally, emotionally, relationally, you feel very much lost at sea. You've been a Christian a long time, but you feel stuck. Maybe you are all in on Jesus. Maybe you've had supernatural experiences with God, but extending mercy to others, like loving, unlovable people, is just out of the question for you. Like serving others, just not on the radar. Like that's, maybe that's you right now. Uh, the other is you're here today and you realize you've never actually had a supernatural encounter with God. You've never actually laid down your yes to Jesus. You honestly don't see him as worthy of your life, worthy of every breath. You've never said yes to him in any real way. I want to create space for you today, right? And here's how we're going to do it. We're about to come to the table, right? And if you feel God stirring your heart today, if you're tired of just listening and like kind of want to do something about your walk with God, as you walk by the table, um, if you're uh, on the prayer team, come on up here. We're going to have some people on either side of this stage, and they're just going to be standing over here. Guys, no, there's, there's, no one's going to like, you know, no one's going to free your wallet. Everyone relax, all right? Um, they're going to be standing on the sides of the stage. After you hit the table, I want to encourage you, just walk over to the side and, have, and tell one of these brothers what's going on in your heart and life. Tell them how God's prompting you right now and what, what's going on. And let, let us pray for you. Maybe your first step towards Christian maturity is just coming out in the open and saying, hey, this is what I feel God's doing in me right now. This is where I feel stuck. Or maybe it's just you saying, man, I, I don't think I've ever said yes to Jesus in any real way. And I, and I need to confront that today. So let's stand. We're going to come to the table.